Strong and Courageous, going through the book of Joshua. Um, we, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been there because we've had some things in the meantime. But la- if you remember last time, we were reading the story of um, basically of, of disobedience of Achan when he kept the things that he wasn't supposed to when they took Jericho. And the outcome was that the mission of Israel to take the land was derailed. You know, they were handed a really big military defeat at AE and and the nation had to stop and and deal with this this inner deception, this sin that was in the camp, so to speak. And we considered the lesson for us and and how we as a church, we have to just be on guard that we we don't get derailed and how can we avoid our own deception, you know, from within. That was chapter 7. We won't go into chapter 8 today, but essentially here's what happened. Israel, they, they dealt with that problem. You know, they, they, um, they re-consecrated themselves and then God handed them that victory over, over, over AE. And today we're going to move into chapter 9. And, and today we're going to look at a different way that God's church can be derailed. And again, we're going to be looking at deception, but this time rather than our own uh, inward Deception that leads to sin. It's actually going to be the outward influence, the outward deception that can come against the church. Now, I just, I just want to acknowledge from the beginning that today's message, I have actually borrowed um, from a book written by our North American superintendent, uh, Dr. Wayne Schmidt, called Ministry Velocity. And I just want to let you know that because his points were so good. This was a book I was reading last year in my, one of my studies, and I just thought this would really align well with today's message. All right, Joshua 9, you can read along with me on the screen behind, starting in verse 1. Now all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened when, when the military defeat happened over in AE. These were, sorry, I should have said military victory, depends on which you know, view you're looking at it from. These were the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who lived in the hill country in the western foothills and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as north as the Lebanon mountains. These kings combined their armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. But when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old parched wineskins. They put on worn-out patched sandals and ragged clothes, and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. Now, they're lying. Keep that in mind. The Israelites replied, To these Hivites, how do we know you don't live nearby? Because if you do, we can't make a treaty with you. And they replied, well, we are your servants. But who are you, Joshua demanded. Where would you come from? And they answered, 
your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and all he did in Egypt. We have also heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey. Go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes, but now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open, and our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reached their towns in three days. The names of these towns were Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. I'm just going with those pronunciations. But the Israelites did not attack the towns, for the Israelites' leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And as we learned in our last message in Joshua, we need to be on our guard about deception and sin from within the church because it has the power to set us off track and derail the mission that God has for us. And this week, it's, it's still deception, but it's come from the outside. But the pattern is the same. You know, the deception is allowed to happen. The people fall into disobedience. You know, you've got to remember that God told Israel, it's, you've got to conquer all of the land of, of Canaan. And now they couldn't because they'd made this oath. And so the final outcome is unfulfilled mission. And, and actually, we find out that there's a lot of disunity that's going on amongst the Israelites as a result of this. You know, I didn't read all of chapter 9, but it goes on to, to describe this grumbling and infighting that happens again. Right? All because God's people allowed themselves to be deceived. It, no, it, no matter what the source, deception disrupts the forward progress of God's people and it causes harm, not only to their cause, but it causes harm to people as well, to individuals. And the problem for Joshua and his leaders was actually a failure of discernment in this, in this circumstance. You know, they failed to prayerfully and carefully respond to the Gibeonites and, and their deception against them was actually successful. And so for Christians and, and for, for churches and especially for, for leaders, you know, we have to be aware, this is a good lesson for us, deception actually is a real threat. A constant threat to us. You know, our ultimate enemy, which is the devil, Satan, he is a deceiver by nature. That's, that's who he is. He's the master of lies, right? The, the Bible says that. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, deception was his method. So actually, we should expect, we should expect that Satan will bring attempts to deceive us, to deceive God's church. This means we need to be constantly on guard, but to do that, you know, the answer here, I think, is to learn discernment because Christians who discern well are less likely to fall into the trap of deception. And I'm sure that everyone here today is in agreement with me that, you know, we don't want to be deceived, right? We need to learn the warning signs of deception and how to be discerning. So Joshua helps us with this from his mistakes. We can learn. 
we're going to learn how his discernment was corrupted. So here's the first thing that we note. Number one, that there was an, an emphasis on, on appearance. You know, as we read the Gibeonites, they faked who they were and what their intentions were by changing their appearance to be something that they were not. You know, they wanted to trick Joshua into thinking that they were outside of the boundary of the area that they had to, to conquer. But false appearance is the essence of deception, and it abounds in, in the church as, as well. You know, even in the early church, Paul had to deal with this. You know, he had these outsiders who were trying to deceive these new Christians. This is what he said in 2 Corinthians. These people are false apostles. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. And then he says, he gives this warning. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I think in the NIV, you might be used to it, it says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. And so the point is, you know, we, we Christians have to be careful and look beneath the surface. Because sometimes what looks like it might be from God isn't. You know, we shouldn't be naive because Satan, you know, he's good at disguises. He's the master of disguises. He knows what we want to actually see and hear. You know, and he, and he can use that to deceive us. Now, this doesn't mean we should run to the other end of the spectrum and just be cynical about everything, right? Because that's tempting sometimes too. That's equally as dangerous to your spiritual life and to the church. Cynical people, you know, we, we, we can quench what God's doing if we're always cynical about, about things. The key thing here is that it's good to use discernment and that often, makes, that often means doing some digging, do some checking. It's not a lack of faith to test the spirits, as Paul says that we should do. It's not a lack of faith to use caution and check, especially if something in us is urging caution. Do you hear what I'm saying? Point number two is the Israelites were easily dissuaded from their initial concerns. Because they did have initial concerns. You know, to Joshua's credit, he, he asked some probing questions in verse 7 and 8. On the screen behind me there, the Israelites replied to the, to the Hivites, how do we know you don't live nearby? Because if you do, we can't make a treaty with you. They replied, well, we're your servants. And he said, but who are you? He demanded, where do you come from? So there was some initial probing and checking. Something in Joshua was saying, should we trust these people? I mean, we know that Joshua was a good leader, right? We've been reading about him now for, for seven weeks. It seems to me that there was a small discernment alarm bell going off in Joshua's head, but unfortunately, he missed the opportunity. He was a little bit too easily dissuaded from those concerns. Whereas what he should have done is taken the initial concern or intuition that he had, taken time out with other leaders and prayerfully you know, processed. Well, what, what is this that, that I'm feeling? Why am I questioning these things? Because that process moves us from personal discernment to spiritual discernment when we stop and be with God. Faith doesn't stop us from using our brain, church, and investigating and praying through concerns we might have about people or groups of people. You know, the key is to do that without losing our focus on God and retaining 
the, you know, the resolute faith that the God's, he's doing great things. You know, because you don't want, like I said, you don't want to go down the path of cynicism all the time. You know, we need to stay in the path of, God, of faith in God and, he, and he's going to do great things. And I admit it's tempting to slide down that sceptical path, but, it, but it's dangerous. Balance is the key. And I wonder, and yes, speculating, but I wonder if there was a leader who had a strong concern about what was going on here. But they didn't want to be that negative person, you know, who, who's always speaking up. And so they stayed quiet and the, the leadership group went along with the decision, we're going to make a, you know, that decision or we're going to make a treaty with these people despite concerns. So church, I say we need to be mature enough to have a culture that always allows concerns to be aired, you know, especially amongst leadership, because it can save us from potential harm. There should never be a culture where people feel intimidated in the church that they can't speak up if they feel like there's a deception going on somewhere or something wrong. But I'll put a big condition on that because the airing of concerns or cautions should always be done with humility and grace. Because that's what the life in the Spirit looks like. So yes, we speak up, but if we speak up with arrogance or pride instead of humility, it's not really appropriate in God's church. And not only that, I know people, and people are infinitely more likely to hear a message spoken in genuine love than in another, like in, in, in anger or something like that. So I'm saying here from the pulpit today, we need to have a culture where leaders can speak up when their discernment is telling them to. But how we speak up is equally important. So number three today is this one. They were too easily flattered by the offer they received. This is an interesting one. When Joshua and his leaders asked questions of the Gibeonites, you know, they replied to them, we are your servants. You know, it was very clever as it opened, it really did open a door for their deception to move forward. Pride is the enemy of discernment. And when deceptive people use flattery on us or inflate our ego, it becomes difficult to ask hard questions. You know, it's a good trick. Discernment too easily goes out the window. And I've seen this happen. Often people with with the wrong motives, are very good at flattering the right people to gain their advantage. I'm not talking about genuine encouragement. That's a completely different thing. The caution here is especially true around people. If, you know, if we don't know them that well and we don't know what they're, what they're about, what their motives are. The fourth one is this. The deception was wrapped in a spiritual sounding package. They told Joshua, you know, they came to them and they said, the might of the, uh, you know, they were motivated by the might of the Lord your God. And they said really nice things about God. And they mentioned all the victories that they had won. But that wasn't their real motivation. And so this is another warning about outside deception. Some people are very good at spiritualizing their weak argument or their deceptive intent with very religious or spiritual language. You know, when people come to me and they say, Nathan, God told me, you know, dot, 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 dot. 
My little antennas sometimes stand up a little bit higher. <laughs> because sometimes, you know, I'm cautious, sometimes, yes, of course we hear from God. But deception in the church is common. And people who claim the spiritual high ground with kind of like a spiritual pride or, or arrogance, that, that, that rings alarm bells with me sometimes. When I hear spiritual arrogance, I'm cautious because genuine faith and spirituality is actually delivered with humility. You know, it's, it's still sincere. It's still faithful, but it's humble. And when I think I hear from God on something, you know, yes, we should share it, but it's better sometimes to use statements like, I, you know, I, actually, I think I'm hearing from God telling me this, because let's be honest, sometimes we miss it, what God is telling us. We do. Sometimes we just hear it wrong, probably because we're hoping for something different. The definitive statement that God told me sometimes locks others in to something that may not be from God. In my many years in the church, I've heard contradictory statements. We're talking about people who use spiritual language for the wrong reasons, right? One person can say, the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully today. And the, the next person can say, I don't think the Holy Spirit was here today. So, so what's going on there? You know, how does that even work? My point is sometimes we can wrap up our wants and desires and personal tastes in spiritual language and it can deceive others if we're not careful. And people with bad motives do the same. It can lead to deception. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Okay, number five. Thank you, Nicole, by the way. <laughs> number five, they failed to consult God before making a significant decision. I've kind of covered this already, but this is, this is key. Verse 14 says, They did not inquire of the Lord about the Gibeonites. You think they would know by now, right? Let's be kind to them. You think we would know by now, too. You would have to assume that if the leaders had taken time to pray together, a sense that something wasn't right was probably more likely. I've preached this point many times. The lesson is clear. God is in charge. We can call him the CEO if you want, the king. He gets to make all the major decisions. Therefore, we pray and seek his leading about all those things. Lest someone is claiming a direction from God when it's not from God. You know, that includes the things I, I suggest, by the way. You know, just because the pastor says it, we better be going off and praying about it. Because I could be wrong, I could be hearing God wrong. Number six is this, they rushed their decision. Kind of similar to previous points. In verse 16, they find out the truth about the Gibeonites. Guess what? It was only three days later that the real truth came out. Just a three-day delay on the decision would have saved them from this deception. And if I've learned anything about Christian leadership, it's that often God moves slower than we think he should. <laughs> for, a, for, yeah, for a very good reason. It's always for good reasons. Because God is at work in ways that we just do not know. And that usually includes in us. You know, when we rush, we often miss what God is really wanting to do. So yes, there are times when we might have to move quickly, but quick action should never substitute careful and prayerful preparation 
because as we're learning, we can fall into traps, including traps of deception. The consequences of deception can be damaging, not only to us individually, but to us together, to the church. You know, for the Israelites, it brought disunity and, and, and they were off mission. The body of people, they were upset, the leaders, for being deceived. If you read chapter 9, you'll see that in there. This plays out in our churches too. Pastors or leaders deceived, either you know, their, their own deception or from others, and the whole church suffers. And so does God's mission. From what I can see, churches who go through painful experiences like that, they tend to suffer for a long time. And, and some never recover. I once heard the story of a church that lost its way from outside deception. Now, as I tell this story, I just want you to know this is not a church that any of you know, so don't sit there trying to guess. I know who that is, no. The pastor was deceived by a group of people who arrived at the church one day and immediately went about influencing him. They flattered him and told him he would do something big but was being held back by this denomination they were a part of. And over time, he believed them enough that he invited the congregation to leave with him and start something new, something bigger and better and more exciting. And so he led about two-thirds of that congregation away to start their new church, which had all the right spiritual language, the big vision, all the right energy and excitement, and the pastor was built up and promised a lot by this group of people. The new church started with much fanfare, but sadly lasted no more than two years. It petered out and closed, and the pastor was left a shattered man. The old church also never really recovered. The members who stayed were so badly burnt by that pastor's decision, they struggled to trust a leader again. This was a church that once thrived. People were coming to faith. Worship services were filled. Youth and kids programs overflowing. The, the community loved the service that they were doing in their community. But deception was allowed in. It's a cautionary tale for all of us as we continue to grow and as we go deeper in our discipleship. I know, I know we will get Satan's attention. And Paul warned us of that. Now, don't worry, I'm not using this story to say that we need to be suspicious of people arriving at Hills, okay? So whatever you do, please don't hear that message today. I love you all. Uh, you know, all those, who, those of you who have been joining us over the last couple of years, I love you guys, um, and, and it's fantastic. That's not my message today. I just want to use that one example to say deception can happen, and it can actually happen in, in many, many different ways. And so my message today is for us, together... To be united and vigilant. Beyond the church body threat of deception, I want to encourage you all to be cautious of deception in your own personal spiritual walk. You know, it's not hard to come across people and movements within the wider Christian body, sometimes with kind of unorthodox, unbiblical, you know, with loose theology. But they can sound really good. And I just, my caution is be careful with who you listen to. And I think that the message today for us is just to do that checking. 
you know? Make sure we're receiving from the right sources, the truth. Sometimes when people use scripture, you know, are they, are they actually using it within the context that it was meant to be in? Or what are their motives? Because sometimes a little bit of checking reveals some strange motives. Check their background, check their lifestyle, check their history. Does it really align with, with Jesus and what he demonstrated? So church, here's what I want us to take away from today. Let's use discernment. By the way, it's a spiritual gift. And I'm going to pray in a minute that God will bring that gift to us more. The second thing is let's not rush things unless God specifically tells us to. We can, we can be slow and steady and we can prayerfully take everything to God. Ultimately, God builds the house anyway, right? And so we need to align everything with his will and that includes his timing. The next thing is we work hard to have a strong culture of spiritual humility. That when we encounter spiritual pride or arrogance, it's actually, we're going to just see it easily because our culture here will be a humble spirituality. And lastly, as a church, we stay close to God together. You know, let's live a spirituality that's, it's, it's not thin, you know, it's thick. It's not complacent, it's not nominal. It's fully devoted. It's deep and it's wide and it's loving and it's supportive of each other and, it, and it's open to, to all people, it embraces all people. You know, that the, there's gifts of the Spirit in our, in, our, um, in our church life. There's the fruit of the Spirit in our conversations and our actions. This is a good way to keep us on track. A deep discipleship with God is our best protection from deception. Because the more we know his word, the more we understand God, you know, that's what the word theology basically means, is, is understanding God, studying God, the better we are at staying on the right path. I believe God has got a great plan and future for his church. When I think of the humble Christians I'm talking about, I, I believe I'm surrounded by them here. But a small part of what we have to do together is watch out for deception. Discernment is important. So I'm going to pray now. And I want us to pray together. I want to pray for us collectively and individually. So I invite you to stand with me. Who here would like to have um, like a, a stronger gift of discernment? Yeah. Me too. So let me pray. Father, we, we read uh, what happened with, with your people in, in Joshua chapter 9 here, and we, we see the lessons, um, and, we, and we apply them to us, God. Lord, we, uh, we don't want to be um, set off track from deception. You know, we want to stay true to, to you and your course of things. And so, Lord, uh, my prayer this morning, firstly, is that um, you would protect us against the lies of the devil and people with um, the wrong plans. Lord, that you would keep us united together. 
God, I, I want to pray that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, that your gift of discernment would come alive in us. I think, I think, Lord, this is a gift that we can all have. I pray that we will be able to discern what is true and, and what is not, what is good and what is not. Lord, we'd be able to um, discern situations quickly. Um, to not just save ourselves, Lord, but to, to save the church from outside influence as well. God, I, I pray for that spirit of humility just to permeate your church. God, where there's any spiritual arrogance or pride, Father, we confess that to you today. We pray that you would remove it from us and then we will always be humble. God, I pray against deception. I pray against disunity. Lord, instead we look to you and the mission that you have called us to. And in faith, God, we, want, we continue to go down that path. I pray, Lord, this week as we uh, get ready to leave uh, the, the church here, Father, that you would give us many opportunities to, to represent you to those who are in our life in many different ways, through words, through actions. Oh, Lord, a, a, an invitation to Alpha. God, I pray for those opportunities too. Lord, I pray for all of those invitations on the seas today that um, they will go out this week and that when people receive them, that you will just touch their hearts and there will be something in them that says, yes, I want to go to this. God, we just thank you for your protection. We thank you for your love for us. And God, we want to fulfill the things that you have called us to do. I pray, God, that you will give us not only the vision for that, but the power and the strength and the courage as well. Lord, we understand that the battle belongs to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.